looking back, you know, just followed my gut feel. And, and I think the most important thing, I fell in love with Sabaco. I, I love that brand. It's, I have three children. This is my fourth adopted child. And, and I think that's been the key and my drive to get it to where it is today. Welcome to CMO Masterclass, a podcast dedicated to understanding what makes the world's best marketers tick, their views on customers, markets, brands, technology, and the threats and opportunities they see on the horizon. I'm Phil Huzzard, Agency Principal of DPR and Co. Melbourne. Thanks for joining me. Let's get the show on the road. Welcome to CMO Masterclass. Today, I'm speaking with Herman Vierhofstadt, now the CEO of iconic 130-year-old Australian brand, Sabco. Originally from Belgium, Herman was headhunted to the CEO role of Sabco shortly after it was acquired by US-based cleaning products brand Libman. Herman began to rebuild the company from a very low base, having been placed under administration in the period before the Libman acquisition. Over the ensuing decade, Herman led the brand from a distant number three position in market to a resounding number one. In the process, he grew the company by around 400% in revenue. I've no doubt that Herman's experience as a leading CMO gives his leadership of Sapco a unique dimension, one that has proven incredibly successful and one that makes him a challenging, enjoyable and inspiring person to work with. Herman, welcome to CMO Masterclass. Thanks for having me, Phil. It is a great pleasure. Herman, you've risen through the ranks of a major FMCG player from a relatively junior marketing role, and now you're the CEO of Australia's biggest cleaning company brand. Can you describe that journey in a reasonably concise way? Yes, I can. Um, I think it was never really planned. Um, there's, there's two parts of this story. One story is that I was fascinated with Australia and did like the idea to actually live here. It's not that easy when you're uh, early 40s to come to Australia. And the, the other thing is that I'm fascinated by, by brands and by marketing. So when uh, the Lipman family offered me the job to run Samco, uh, I was in heaven landing in Australia and um, trying to make it work. It's very, very hard. Um, in the beginning, but um, looking back, you know, just followed my gut feel. And, and I think the most important thing, I fell in love with Sabaco. I, I love that brand. It's, I have three children. This is my fourth adopted child. And, and I think that's been the key and my drive to get it to where it is today. When you first arrived, how, obviously, most Europeans speak English pretty well, and you do. Was that language and culture a difficult thing for you to manage at all? Yeah. Um, I have a story on that. In, in, you know, in, in Belgium, where I'm from, when, when somebody sits down with you and they present something, you can easily say like, nah, that's no good to do it again. I don't like it. In Australia, people are much nicer. That's what I like to leave it. People are like, look, this, this is a good effort. I see what you mean. I appreciate you've done, but maybe we can do it this way. So in the beginning, when I arrived there, I was like, "No, don't like it. No, don't like it. That's okay. That's maybe okay. I have to work on this again." And I had a big fight with my team. So I hired the consultant and said, "Like, why don't they 
just do what I say to them they have to do. So you need to be a little more subtle. And I think I've learned through the years on combining that subtleness with being still a little bit of sledgehammer. Yeah. And, and I think the fact that um, Australia embraces people that are a bit different, the accent has helped me when we go and sit in front of uh, the retailers, uh, sit in front of my staff. It is crazy in love with Sapco and a bit different trying to get there, sprinkling the Belgian and Australian cultures together in a mix. If that makes sense. It does. It does. It's funny because um, I'm on the global board uh, of AIM and Worldwide, which is a network of independent firms. And one of my fellow board members is from Antwerp mm. in Belgium, and he is very direct, famously direct. Famously. And, uh, yeah. And it, and it ruffles the American uh, board members, and they find it hard too because they're very polite. And, of course, we are very similar in, in our sensibilities as the Americans. Look, I was born in Antwerp, yeah, so the same. But I think that's the richness. As long as you realize that your directness needs to be interpreted as not rude and impossible, but as a way of communicating. And, and I mean, I, I admire the Australian society. We just came back from a holiday from our season. I know when I come back why I was to be in Australia. And I think if you combine that, the love for the local culture, but with a little bit of salt from your own, it works. Herman, one of the outstanding quotes that I heard from you not long after we began working together was this maxim of, of yours that we never argue with a customer. If there's a problem, we just fix it. No matter how our product has been treated or abused, no questions asked, it's replaced free, first time, first request every time. Can you tell us about what that means to your organization over and above simply great customer service? I think we, we all have experiences with brands we buy and services we buy. And when something is making you feel good, you go back. It's just the same for a cleaning product. I am adamant that I answer every email from consumers writing to me. We sell thousands of pieces and you can just go on our website and email CEO at zapco.com.au. I'll answer you within 24 hours. I've answered people from my holiday in Italy. Because I, I feel even if you buy a $10 mop and you're not happy or something is wrong or you want some advice, we'll have to help you. And and I think that is that is just a, um, in Latin they say, conditio sine qua non. I'm not sure how you translate it. It's like, it's a mandatory. You need to have that, that, that experience. Um, clients, look, the, in Australia, the, the retail is very concentrated. We have, we sell to Bunnings and Coles and Woolworths and Office Works and all this retail. The buyers that are there, when they have a question, and the question could be on a new product or anything, I want them to call SAPCO. And that only works that when our account manager on the other side picks up the phone after three rings and says, hey, uh, whoever it is, good to hear from you. How can I help you? That's how it works. And I, and I think, Phil, the same with your advertising agency. We've been working together for a decade at least. If there's been challenges, there's been amazing work. When there was a question, whatever, you were always available. And that's that's what you need. That's how people, that, that's how business works in my eyes. Um, one of the other things that we began, I remember talking about this very early on in our relationship, 
And we started talking about the positioning of Sadco when at the time it was not a particularly highly regarded brand, but it was just starting to gather momentum under your leadership. And we talked about being the excitement brand in a low engagement sector. And I think that that was a maxim that served the brand really well. And, and what was interesting about that was how well that resonated with the channels that mattered to you. You spoke about Barnings, you spoke about Woolworths and Coles. Can you explain how they received and perceived that maxim of being the excitement brand? When it comes to leadership in an organization, my recipe is enthusiasm and I'll try to inspire everything with, with enthusiasm. You know, I drive a green car. Everything is green. I love the green brand. So if I go to the clients, and that starts from, from day one, I think that they felt that there was some energy there of somebody really wanted to make it work. And, you know, we've had lots of bad luck, but also a little bit of good luck, and little by little we've been building it. And that enthusiasm uh, that inspired our clients, our customers, but mainly our staff has been paying us it's been helping us grow and, and I, I think that that's the recipe for me it's enthusiasm that is the the key green blood i really want say we bleed we bleed green yeah, yeah. we bleed green or at least i do bleed green yeah <laughs> it's a, it's actually an honor in uh, in the the Samco office when somebody says like you start to bleed green now too that means that you're really part of the family oh good yeah, yeah. What a great badge of honour. Yeah, it's the bleed green. Here's your medallion. Herman, tell us about the relationship between Sabco as a consumer brand, and obviously it is now the number one consumer brand in the land, the relationship between that and your B2B brand, because I know that that's a significant and growing part of the Sabco business. But I'm just interested in how the brand Halo of it's how Australia cleans, which is what the strap line for Sabco is, how that's playing out in B2B land. So Sabco founded in 1892 has been, um, was probably even in the 60s and 70s, the biggest cleaning company in the world. It was very focused on manufacturing in Australia. Then in the 80s, 90s, with uh, low-wage countries entering the products into Australia, it all went pear-shaped, and in the 2000s, it actually went uh, almost, as you said, in administration. I don't know exact all the, all the details of that, but when I arrived, it was a declining business, and it was important that we became, again, the must-have brand for our consumers and our uh, retailers. We first focused on the retail business because we needed volume buying powers and cash flow so we can invest in, in the brand. That's what we did first. I think that uh, it's like uh, the car brands, um, if you really want to innovate and whatever, you have to be in the Formula One. So we need to be in the Formula One too. So that's the business to business, the janitorial cleaning, the healthcare and so on and so on. Um, it's still a lot of a people business. You need to have a very, very good team. And I think we have this team right now with Gerard who's leading the other. And there it's the same recipe. You can email me, pick up the phone. We're easy to do business with. We just deliver what we promise. And that is how that starts to grow now. Exactly the same. We copy the recipe from consumer, but now into, uh, into professional. And because, of course, the decision makers in 
the B2B world are just as human. There's the decision makers who are buyers for major retailers who are just as human as consumers. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. A more slightly more personal question now, Herman. Um, our chairman, Simon Reynolds, who is extremely well known in the advertising industry, but now more so as a business coach. And he has an expression, a saying that great executives should work harder on themselves than they do on their business. So can you tell us about your commitment to self-development, how you work on yourself and your business skills? Can you give us an insight into that? Yeah, I came on my push bike today, so I did um, 12 kilometers trying to stay healthy. Look, um, it started in the beginning when I was there. You know, I came from Europe, you know, wearing a suit, being the CEO of the company. I was top of the world trying to fix it, whatever. And one day uh, I met a client, I don't remember. It's just like, well, people wear a suit that, they, that looks expensive, all that they sell. And it's like, you know, we're making brooms and mops. Let's just make brooms and mops. And then I wear sneakers, jeans, and a T-shirt and really became really down to earth. We we have a very non-hierarchical, very um, friendly family business where for me, that's my family. I, I love to be there. And, and the only way for me to work uh, on that is just to be happy and just to do what I do every day, like riding my bike here and um, just do normal. I don't think I look like the standards here. I don't want that. Um, and we are not the standard company. We are like a family business where I'm trying to make everybody bleed green. And for me, that's enough uh, mental health look or stimulus or whatever you want to call that. Of course, we all have challenges in life, you know, teenage kids and all these things. But um, I think just a good balance of um, work, life, but mainly for me, the feeling that I never go to work and just go to my family there and bleed green with it. Does that make sense? And you do have a lot of employees who have been there for a long yeah. time. Yeah. So, so when I arrived in, I think it was 2009, um, the people that believed in the inspiration that was around the South Australian brushware company, they're all still there. They're my family. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, no, I they, they really have succeeded with you, haven't they? You've taken them from one place in the organization. They really have grown. Yeah. With I, would, I would base it different. I think that they have helped me to make the business of what it is today, but I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Thanks to them. We have some superstars uh, in, in our team. Um, but it's the same day, just love that business. I, I, look, I can't describe, I don't know what it's, you know what it's when we talk to us, um, that bleeding green, um, there is something that makes us bond around that uh, very Australian brand. Mm. But it doesn't happen without leadership. That's the thing. But there's a huge insight there about the love for not only a brand, but everything that's wrapped up in the brand, people who make that brand and who live and eat, sleep and breathe the brand. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, leadership should be easy. It's about being genuine. Look, I, I worked before in, in Europe in the corporate world, you know, and it's all about getting the corner office and the bigger company car and the status and the titles and that. And I was so sick of that because I didn't fit in that mold. That when I came here, I said, let's just be um, let's just be a cool company, you know, let's be let's be the right. 
compare Steve Jobs to like, so let's have a Google office and all that. And we know we're near all that, but it's inspirational. Even when you just sell mops and brooms, I think you can be a bit cool. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Will it make sense? It does. It does. Taking you back to when you were younger and a little newer to the executive suite. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us something that you think contributed to your success that you feel is not commonly understood by marketing professionals, aspiring CMOs, for example? Oh, that's a good question. Look, I remember in Belgium, I was probably 24, 20 size, and uh, we were working in a distribution business, wholesale business, and one of our suppliers called and said, that's it, end of contract, going with your competitor. And the EMD, which I'm actually still today friends with, Eric was his name. Eric um, came in my office and I saw he was, he was just soundboarding and he was not giving me the project, but sort of like, we have a big problem there. And I was product manager, junior product manager is part of it. So, um, you know, in the evening, uh, I drove home and I went back to my university books and actually called my marketing professor, the last one that I had. And can I ask you, like, how would you do this? And uh, he actually got it. And suddenly this professor thought it was really interesting because it was like a real life experience. And then I went back to the, the managing director of the company. So like, I've done this and this and this. And he was like, oh, well, okay. That's uh, initiative for 23. And put myself on the radar there were lots of people there and but i went out of my way to do this and actually i started to lead that project and finish that project and then you know little by little you get up there it's it's about not being conventional and just making sure you always fit in the mold sometimes it's about doing the extraordinary just do crazy stuff and just get shit done that that i think is an example i was my first example where i thought like how the hell do you do that? Well, go and get some, the person I was teaching you before, maybe he knows. And, oh, spoke and with the person. <laughs> and it did, and it did. Should have spoken with that person more before. I would have got better marks, I reckon. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do it. Herman, marketing has been a big part of your history as a business executive. How do you think your experience as a former CMO impacts the way you work with your marketing team at Sabco, and in fact, more broadly now as a CEO. Yeah, it's um, the problem is it's it's of course it remains a bit of a hobby. So in my exec team is a lady called Emily. She's the marketing director. She is brilliant. I mean, she's definitely bleeding green, but she must have the hardest job because very often I'll just get uh, let's call it between brackets distracted, and I want to be still the product manager. Yeah. Um, but but I think we get along really I'm sure we get along really well and we've bounced off a lot on products. But if it was truly being the CEO, I should step back and let them do. And I think as I grow older, I've learned more to trust them and to delegate. In the beginning of this business, I was very insecure and wanted to just micromanage everything. So that's I think as you get older, you learn to to delegate a bit more. But I would say let them do on the other end, uh, it's good to um, to debate about products and how consumers perceive it and positioning and market research and even the work, I think, with the agency. You know, like, 
I would want to come to the TV commercial shoot and just direct to him because I have an opinion on it. But you just need to let things go. I think that's the hardest thing to let things go. But I think I'll start to learn a little bit. And in terms of both as a marketing leader and as the leader of your company more generally, are there things that you would counsel an up-and-coming CMO or leader of an organization to do more of and less of than you did yourself, looking back? Look, and I'm thinking a little bit of the people we hire in our business. I think it's important somebody has fire, somebody has like drive, energy, and wants to do something, it's far less important to say the right things, to have the right diplomas, to have that. Like, you just want to have people that make things happen, enthusiasm drive. I mean, there's a lot of other things in life for detail. And I could, but I would say to people, just um, believe in yourself and see how you can make a difference because the world is changing constantly. And, um, you know, when I came here, in 2009, one of the retailers said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm up, is a mop, you know, consumers don't care, get it from China, get some it. And how do you make that a mop is not a mop? How do you get people enthusiastic about a mop? It's the same if you're going into marketing and you sell your own brand. How are you going to help a business to create and infuse a product or a service that much so it stands out and it's people making the difference? So I think fire, you need to have fire, energy, Drive, enthusiasm, you need to love what you do. Otherwise, don't bother in marketing. It's, it's, uh, marketing can't be boring. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've had endless debates about products and brands, and, and um, some brands we love, some brands we like a little bit less. But, but if, you, if you talk to people, it's one of the funny things. In Subco, you can choose when you come. You want an Apple phone or a Samsung. I just want people to be happy. I don't have shares in any of these businesses. Well, I don't care. But the majority goes for the Android. But the passion people have about the brand they love and that passion, bring that passion and then get it if you go be the marketer for soft drinks or butter or cleaning products. So if that fire and that passion is the thing that you would have focused more on, what would you have focused less on? What would have focused less on? So is that like what I regret on to have focused on? I made a couple of, I think, big mistakes. I call them big. We, we survived them. But in the beginning, I wanted to hire everybody in that business, and I did. I had to come back me. I would interview customer service to like everybody because that was important. For me, culture was very important, and I wanted to have people to. But the problem was I was starting to create too many copies of me, so maybe too much fire. You need a bit of balance, yeah. Today, I will only hire the people, and I don't have a lot of work there because it's quite a stable team. People direct to me, and my team is responsible, people reporting to me, to find the right staff linked to the, the vision and mission and values and everything from our business. Yeah. I think that was a big mistake. It was trying, you can try to over manipulate the culture of the business. You need to give it some kind of free flow. So I think too much controlling, I would go slower on that it's easier said when you have a very healthy business than when your business is a bit struggling and you need to make sure you can pay the bills or in those early days in those early days yeah yeah, yeah. in those yeah. early days yeah in terms of guiding principles for the firm do you have a set of core values 
in how you've approached your time at SABCO and how did you apply this to your internal team and to your external team as well, your suppliers and people like us? Yeah. Well, of course, when you see it, there is enthusiasm. You need to have passion for the brand. There is, there is this story in, uh, you know, a big office and it was rented and one day I'm working late. I'm sitting in my office and there's a cleaners walking in and they're having a product for my competitors and they're walking in and I go to the guys like, well, what are you doing? Dad, of course, it was a bit unfair. No clue. I was like, no, nah, I don't need to come. Go. No, no, nobody. So I, I sacked that cleaning company. I said, like, what kind of idiots are there? Like, you know, if you need to visit the Mercedes-Benz head office, you don't rock up in a BMW, I think, I mean, if you ever. Right. Anyway, so I was really angry. I was getting that really, but everybody knew that story. Yeah? And it was like, passion, you need to be, you need to be very, uh, anyway, I lost a bit my, my train. What was the question? Talking about guiding principles. Yeah, yeah, guiding principles. So, so that passion, what? Second, integrity. Integrity for me is, you do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, that's so, so important. Yeah. And the other thing I've really, really tried from day one, I think everybody who works there, they come to work, they have a family, they have school fees, they have bills to pay. They come there because they want continuity and they want to they wanna work there. And I've always said, my first job is to make sure we all have a job tomorrow. And that as long as we're here and you believe in what we do, there will be a job. I'm, we create continuity and stability. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And the people like that. I mean, we have in our values, we want to be an employer of choice. Not because we a um, investment banker salaries will be good, but unfortunately, cleaning is not that uh, of a gold mine. But um, because we're just a great place uh, to work. And, and that balance I'm trying to, to keep as a guiding principle. Well, I know everybody there and everybody knows me. It's just very down-to-earth business. Hey, I mean, there's a lot of change going on. You mentioned that earlier, that everything is changing very quickly at the moment. What do you see as the big changes that you're facing in business over the next two to three years? There's a lot of things that are scary. I mean, if you just talk about artificial intelligence and, you know, the distribution, I mean, global macroeconomics, what's, I mean, supply chains, um, there's a lot of scary things, but um, I believe that we need to try to um, just concentrate on what we can influence and then see how we go. I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit older now, so that whole generation, I didn't grow up with an iPad. So I think to, to get the whole digital in, and we have you guys helping us there. Um, but where is that going to go? On the other hand, cleaning, I mean, there is people saying, oh, there will be disruptors. Oh, I haven't seen the disruptor. Uh, at the end of the day, if you clean your house, it will make you feel good. You want to have that. It's a primary need. So I'm sure it will always be there. How it will be distributed in the future? Who knows? Um, we're trying to, we're not going to be trendsetters and um, we're just going to watch really carefully what's happening and we're just going to keep very close to that and try to make uh, quality cleaning products for Australians, um, even mainly in Australia. So that's a bit what we're doing. It's going to keep doing that and I can't worry about what's going to happen in the world. Mm. But yeah, there's a lot of changes in exchange rates. Like, it's, it's just so... Um, 
volatile. The world is just so volatile. I remember you talking about container prices out of China going to ridiculous prices mm. and where it made being competitive very difficult. Well, now they give them for free. Mm. You know? It's just, uh, well, for free, the exaggeration. But yeah, they went from like $20,000 a container to now you can almost get them for free. It's strange. Eh? It's a bit of an indication that globally the economy is uh, slowing down. But crazy, you need to be ready as a business for that kind of curveballs that are thrown at Europe. Look, after the pandemic, it hopefully stabilizes. But still have a war going on. Like there is, you know, I, I don't know what else is going to happen. We'll just have to manage that when it's there. Having said that, we have a healthy risk averse plan to make sure that whatever scenario happens, we sort of have a plan B. And part of that plan is bringing manufacturing back to Australia. Correct. I think that is, I mean, imagine there's a war tomorrow somewhere in, in Asia, God forbid, that we make things in Leverton here, so it's easy. Yeah? But you still need to get plastic. You need still need to get the raw materials. But yes, that's definitely part of the plan. I think probably even bigger argument that is also carbon footprint is a lot less if you make it in your backyard in Australia. That's why we have decided to start producing back. It started in 1892 in Adelaide has uh, been revamped in 2023 in, in Leverton, mm. oh, let's say Melbourne. One of the things that you have led your company to an amount of focus on, which is unusual, is how you're engaging with First Nations peoples. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I think that when I fell in love with a brand, because it is also a very Australian brand, and as I really decided to come and live in Australia, it was easy for me to fall in love and to, to benchmark with where I had been. And we are the whole, whole doesn't exist anymore, but um, the Vegemite of the Brooms and Mops. So what is more Australian than also work on a, everything what is indigenous, which is very topical for the moment? So we decided probably three years ago to start working on that. It was uh, probably... Let's do other things than just making brooms and mops and trying to create a profit. So we had a team working on that. And yet today we have an official uh, reconciliation plan and a very enthusiastic team. And we, yeah, we feel proud about what we've done. Yeah. So manufacturing in Australia and having that cements the real Australian brand, uh, what a South Australian brush company is. So, yeah. And the impact of that goes beyond a marketing impact and a sales impact. It has a big internal, I, I guess you'd call it a galvanizing effect internally. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's almost a little bit egoistic if you want, because we've we've worked, we've traveled with the leadership team to Uluru and we've seen with our own eyes on how there is inequality and how I mean Sapco's not gone solve all the political and problems of, of Australia, but we want to contribute a bit to that. And the fact that, I mean, it goes back to the bleeding green, the team got behind it and feels like they do something right. We do something right by making very good products for Australian uh, consumers, but also by doing and giving back to, uh, to an Aboriginal community. So yeah, that actually is more of a motivation scheme for the internal team, if you want, than even outside or to outside, I'm sure. And it also helps. It's been amazing. We had no idea. I don't know if it was a, where we have discussion and like a brainstorm 
posted, let's let's have a look into this. And our ringer with Emily is like, how are we gonna do this? And, oh well, we'll see how this goes. And then, you know, we don't have the resources from a big corporate to say like, let's put a team on it. It was a little bit on the side. Let's see how we get there. But I think we've got compliments from the government and our good our uh, reconciliation plan. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the rise of the CMO and marketing it as technology is connected organizations more closely with their customers uh, and with marketing being at the forefront of that connectedness. How do you see the role of marketing leaders evolving today? And how do you see agency partnerships evolving with that? Yeah, but I think it's, it's becoming a lot more complex, but also more interesting. As before, when I was doing this, let's say, 10 years ago, you had product management and there was real the product management of products and launches with clear timelines. And then you would talk to advertising agency uh, who would make the TV campaign and you would have your market research agency who would tell you what consumers are. There's always like the projects ongoing when ready, present to sales. And then you have uh, the agency make advertising and market research keep feeding and trying to seed new things. Today, the whole digital has come on top and there is so many different disciplines in that. So I think that's one aspect that makes it a lot more complex. And the challenge is that before you would have a product manager and then uh, a brand manager or the, the marketing director, and they would be just jack of all trades and manage all that. But now there's so much speciality there that we are more reliant on the advertising agency who hires all these skills one web design builder, the other um, Facebook and LinkedIn and all these things. Now we have all the digital retailers. Too. And the challenge is the digital retailers, they bring it from all over the world because suddenly we can look at what's sold in Europe. and that. So it, it's getting more and more complex and we need to have people a lot more skilled, probably knowing a lot of the things, but less in depth. And then just hiring these um, or outsourcing the, the other skills, the more technical skills. That's how I see it evolving. I mean, it sounds like my parents now. Is it going to be good olden days? You know, it was easier, but uh, oh, well, it's what it is. On the other hand, is also, you can be more clever, yeah? You have a clever digital campaign. We've seen effects on digital campaigns, which are crazy. So good, yeah? So, yeah. Brave new world. The brave new world before there was TikTok, so, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Berman, thank you so much for your time today. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate your insights, and I'm sure that a lot of people that listen to this will have gained a lot from it. And some of the insights you shared are just so fundamental and yet so often overlooked. And so for all of that and the freshness that you brought to this CMO Masterclass, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Phil. For everyone listening, obviously, um, we'll be back soon with another CMO Masterclass, and we hope that it'll be as interesting as today's Masterclass with Herman. Thanks again, Herman. Thank you. That's it for this edition of CMO Masters. Click the link for a transcript of this interview. I look forward to you joining me again for the next edition of CMO Masterclass.